President Gustavo Serena. Here. Vice President Katie Liu. Here. Commissioner Martha Knudsen. Here. Commissioner Michael Pappas. Commissioner Teddy Brijas. Here. And please note that Executive Director Shreem McSpadden is present. At this time, we ask that you silence all electronics and cell phones. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there'll be a slight change to the agenda. Item J should read, requesting authorization to enter into a contract agreement with Resource Development Associates for the provision of a research and analysis project for the development of a dynamic resource directory during the period of February 1st, 2019 through September 30th, 2019 in the amount of $49,915 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $54,907. It's a very slight change in the amount. And the second change in the agenda is that we will take item R before item Q. With those changes, I'd like a motion to approve the agenda. So moved. Second. Seconded. Thank you. All in, any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item three, approval of the January 7, 2019 meeting minutes. Do you have a motion to approve? So moved. Thank you. Second? Second. Thank you. Any discussion? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item four. We'll begin with the director's report, Shireen McSpadden. Good afternoon, commissioners. There nice to are. see all. Yes, I'm here. <laughs> nice to see all of you here today. Um, I want to start by just talking about um, the, our new governor, Governor Newsom's state of the state address. I think. Um, it was music to my ears and probably everyone else's when he started off um, talking about aging by saying the golden state is getting grayer and then going on to talk about how we need to really support people to age in California. And um, a couple different things he, he mentioned. One is his own personal experience with aging in, in his family and with um, dementia in his family. Um, he also talked about supporting a master plan on aging, which is is really exciting to advocates for aging in California. And then he talked about um, creating a task force, an Alzheimer's prevention and preparedness task force led by Maria Shriver, which again, um, and talked about the statistics regarding dementia and Alzheimer's in California and how important it is to focus on these things. And I think, you know, at least for me, I've been, been in this aging field for you know, close to 30 years at this point, and I and I have to say, this is the first time I've heard somebody spend that much time in a speech talking about aging, and how important it is for us to pay attention to aging. And, and so I was very, very encouraged by that. And I think we all should be, and we should all see this as an opportunity to work with the governor at whatever level that we do, um, to really advance services and supports for older adults in California. So. Um, I just wanted to start off by saying, to me, that was really something to be hopeful about and excited about. <clears throat> um, also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things that are happening locally. One of the things that we're working on, as I think you know, is completing our service and allocation plan for the Dignity Fund. Our staff um, have has put in a huge amount of work on this, and I, I really have to say, you know, I'm so fortunate to work with people who are so bright and dedicated and, and, and just think outside the box um, and all of that. And so I think um, 
you know, we'll certainly have feedback from the public when it comes out on March 1st. Um, March 1st is when we'll be releasing the draft. But I feel like it'll be really valuable discussion because I think it's really going to be a good product for people to look at and review. So that's um, so I'm really excited about that. Um, one of the things that we said that we would do, and we're actually sending this out today, is we're going to be sending something out to our community providers, our contractors, about our our contract schedule, just to clarify what that contract schedule is going to look like. And I'm really saying that just to put it on record here publicly. Um, we told people it would come out today. It hasn't come out yet, but it will um, come out this afternoon. So it's finalized, and, and it'll be a letter directly from me that our staff has put together to really explain the process. Because as we move into really, um, I guess, kind of adhering to the Dignity Fund leg legislation and, and putting together all the activities that we need to do to make sure we're doing the things the way we should be. We need to also be doing a very good job of explaining what we're doing and being as transparent as possible. So this is, you know, this is really our attempt at being very transparent in the process. Um, and then I just think I have two other things that I wanted to mention. One is that on March 9th, at the LGBT Center at 10 o'clock, and all of you will receive an invitation to this. We're going to be doing a five-year, a celebration of the five years of um, since the LGBT Senior Task Force did its work and gave us its report and recommendations. Um, I will be there, joined by Tom Nolan, who was our staff to the to the um, LGBT Senior Task Force. We'll also be joined by Supervisor Raphael Mandelman who's been very supportive of our work, and by Senator Scott Weiner, who actually was one of the first people who commissioned this task force, and um, David Campos, former supervisor, will also be joining us. And we've invited the mayor, um, and hopefully Mayor Breed will join us as well and say a few words in support of, of this work. So um, it's, a, it's a chance for us to really celebrate the work we've done, to talk maybe about what next steps are in terms of, you know, you know, kind of finishing out our recommend, finishing out the recommendations. We've completed 11, or at least have done a lot of work on 11 of the 13 recommendations in the report, which is something to really be proud of. But there, we know that um, there isn't complete equity for LGBTQ people in San Francisco, and so we need to. We still have work to do. But um, I, but overall, it'll be a real celebration. And then I wanted to talk a little bit, just to give you a heads up about something that will be happening in April, and that's that um, the palliative care work group, which is which is staffed by DOS, but is a multi-departmental um, um, work group that looks at palliative care in San Francisco and tries to make sure that every person has access to palliative care and advanced care planning tools. We're going to be doing a celebration um, during National Healthcare Cel National Healthcare Decision Week, which is the week of April 14th, and I think specifically on April 16th, we're going to have a series of events. We're partnering with the San Francisco Library, which has been a great partner on this, and they're really focusing on some of the same issues themselves. And so it's a really good it's a really good um, partnership for us. And so we'll get more information out to all of you about the various activities that'll be happening that week. And I think that's that's it for my report for today. Thank you. I would just like to comment as well on the Dignity Fund. The process has been really outstanding in terms of b making it transparent. Um, the people who sit on the oversight board are 
diverse individuals with diverse perspectives, and the public's been welcome and has attended in surprisingly large numbers, so they are aware of what, what has been going on. So I think the department should feel very good about the way they've handled this. Um, any other comments or questions for um, Shireen? Okay. Employee recognition. The DAS Commission and Executive Director Shireen McSpadden will recognize Eric Chow from the DAS Office of the Public Conservator. So we're going to recognize Eric Wong. Hi, Eric. Hi. So congratulations. It's very exciting. Yeah, so, um, so I had a chance today, because Eric's um, program director can't be here today, because she had to attend um, another meeting, and she really felt so bad about it. And um, she came in and talked to me earlier, and she just was glowing about you, Eric. And, and so I'm going to read what um, people said about you, but I just also wanted to say I had a chance to talk with Sandra, and she said, I'm so sorry I can't be here there, and I want to see him. Um, get his award, but we're going to have fun later. Um, but she also said, <laughs> at the Tonga Room, she gave, um, but she also said, you know, you're so patient, and she actually said you're elegant. You just have an elegant way of, of going about your um, being a clinician, and that you're technically sound, and that she just really loves what you bring to the group in terms of being a team player. And she just had really great things to say about you, and I wanted to make sure to mention that because I'm sure that all of your colleagues feel the same way from what I, from what I hear. Okay, so, um, so I'm just going to read this to you. It's with tremendous joy to announce that Deputy LPS Conservator Eric Wong has been awarded the DOS Employee of the Month for February 2019. Eric joined the Office of the Public Conservator in January of 2018, and he has quickly become an integral part of the team. Not only is he affable towards his colleagues, he goes out of his way to support them whenever possible. His kindness also emanates to the care and services that he provides to his clients. Eric employs strong client advocacy by effectively collaborating with mental health partners with the goal of ensuring that his clients' needs and goals are adequately met. Eric is infinitely patient. He takes the time to thoroughly assess each situation and consistently applies clinically informed and thoughtful interventions. Eric is not easily discouraged. When faced with challenges, he methodically examines the problem with a compassionate lens to reach equitable re resolutions. Eric unequivocally has proven to be an essential member of the Office of the Public Conservator. Once again, we are honored and excited to announce that he has been selected as Employee of the Month. Eric is a delightful colleague and an, and an exemplary conservator. Congratulations. So Derek, I mean Eric, <laughs> DOS, I was trying to say DOS. So Eric, on behalf of the um, DOS Commission, you are Employee of the Month for the month of February. Thank you. So thank you. Um, I just want to say a quick thank you to especially Sandra, our fearless leader, um, and also Kim and Mike, our supervisors, um, for their capacity to contain all the challenges that happen in our office, um, and of course all the special people that make up our the public conservator's office. Um, and I also just want to say how much of a privilege it's been working with my clients. Um, they, you know, despite the imposition of the conservatorship, 
They've always shown a willingness to work together. Um, and they've taught me a lot about values, um, humility, and respect. Um, so again, I appreciate this recognition. Thank you. The next item on the agenda is the Advisory Council Report, Diane Lawrence. Good afternoon. I actually have uh, two reports um, to give, so I just kind of go into them all together, if that's sure. okay, Commissioner. So the uh, Advisory Council had its first meeting of 2019 on the 16th of January, and prior to that meeting, the Executive Committee met um, to discuss our plans for the year. Um, just to kind of get familiar since we have new officers. Uh, we're developing a series of topics for each month, and then we will be asking for speakers um, when appropriate to make sure we get through all, um, all of our topics. The members are being surveyed on their top topics for the year so we can prioritize them. Um, we're copying from what TAC did. That's what uh, they did back in September, and I'll um, address that in a few minutes. Uh, Director McSpadden um, reported on the Dignity Fund mayor, mayoral uh, form on January 11th, and Mayor Breed uh, will assign someone from her office for aging and disability issues and to set the guidelines for next year's budget. Um, there's a, well, I'm not going to go into it because uh, Dan Kaplan will go into greater detail. Um, Director McSpadden discussed the potential impact of, federal, of the federal sh shutdown and the assisted living uh, facilities work group. The rules for SSI recipients uh, not having access to food stamps or CalFresh has been changed, so the SSI recipients are now eligible, and I'll have more details on that from TAC. Um, she also discussed the departmental efforts to make residents aware of the DOS services and to reframe um, aging. The Dignity um, Oversight and Advisory Committee uh, gave an update. Um, Dr. Um, Edelman uh, did that. Um, she announced that the BOLD Act, this is outside of the um, Dignity Fund, that the BOLD Act um, had passed Congress, and BOLD stands for Building Our Largest Dementia Infrastructure for Alzheimer's um, Act, an analysis of who is being served, an equity analysis is being done regarding the Dignity Fund. Pedestrian Safety Ad Hoc Committee uh, reported, um, that's a very active group, Mrs. Lurie reported on the suggestion of groups to contact re regarding the issue of safe sidewalks, including Walk SF, Design Review Group, Pedestrian Safety Work Group, Safe Streets, the MTA, a Vision Zero Task Force, among others. And Council Member Juliet Rothman reminded us of the procedure for reporting unsafe sidewalks to the Department of Public Works. We had a site visit to the Cannon Kip Senior Center, and... Um, Dr. Edelman reported on the Onlock and Open House that they were developing a hybrid PACE program mainly for the LGBT community. Um, after discussion with Director McSpadden in early January, um, Michael Zog, the Director of the Office on Aging, will be attending our meetings. He will answer questions and will be basically our liaison between the department and the council. Um, and we have our next meeting on Wednesday when we will have our first joint ledge committee meeting for the year. So that's why there's no ledge report. So now the TAC report. report. Thank you, Diane. So the TAC meeting was held December 4th and 5th, uh, where we met the new director uh, for the commission, California Commission on Aging, 
Gretchen Ziegler. Miss um, Ziegler comes to us from CalPERS, which I thought was an interesting uh, combination. Uh, the TAC members, as I mentioned briefly, uh, prioritize the topics for this year's meeting. So we have four meetings during the year, and we'll focus on one of these topics at each of the meetings, the Older uh, Californians Act modification, the master plan on aging, and the effects of isolation. And that was a result of um, surveys done in um, September. We had presentations on the international perspective on Seniors Without Walls. That's a uh, online uh, course program basically through telephones. There are 40 courses um, offered. Um, we, the department participates in Spanish courses are being started in California. Uh, looked at the SSI cash out where SSI recipients may now may also receive CalFresh benefits on an electronic um, on an EBT card beginning this summer. The SSI benefits will not be reduced or eliminated because of this change. Um, and the benefits will increase $10 per person per month um, to be equitable with um, SSI and SSP. And most um, SSI recipients will need to apply for CalFresh. Excluded members of current CalFresh households need not apply, and all counties are gearing up for increased applications. And I will send um, Bridget a flyer that they provided us that's very helpful in understanding this as part of my report. There was a panel on elder justice. There's work on a national adult maltreatment reporting system, and this is to look at populations and abuse um, across the country. The challenge is that these populations and definitions of abuse are different across the states, and uh, what they're looking at is side-by-side -side data um, across all states. Uh, beginning in January 1st, counties started collecting data, and this is to provide more information regarding the client and the abuser. And within California alone, there are eight different databases. So you can imagine the challenge that we will have uh, nationwide. Um, Adult Protective Services, the California Welfare Directors Association, is asking for more um, APS and public guardian uh, training funding. Um, five federal grants were given out for this type of training, and California got three, so that's some really good news. And we have California universities that are doing some research in these areas. So one thing that struck me is the partnership with the university system, both the Cal State and the um, UC system. Um, there, um, the state of adult daycare services in California was another topic, and that's quite That's a quite complicated. Um, system. Um, it was a victim of uh, the 2011 uh, recession, and they pointed out that 25% of millennials have caregiver, caregiver responsibilities, so millennials are very um, interested in this topic. And there's takes about two years to start up a new um, center, and New York University is doing a pilot study on the effects of nutrition on hospitalization, so that'll be interesting to watch. And UCLA is doing some work on mental health. We also had a report from the California Commission. We had an update on the California, the Older Californians Act. And Cal State University Bakersfields identified a group of students who'd like to help with updating that legislation. Um, and Assemblymember Ash Kalra is the chair of the Aging and Disability Committee, is a resource, and he's very active in um, this area of caregiving. He's also a caregiver himself. It will probably be a two-year bill, 
and this will be discussed further at our meeting at the end of this month. Um, they're discussing the, um, the, that point. There was a post-election update. There was discussion of a long-term care, a long-term support and, and support and services are, um, just figuring out where it would fit in. And then also, um, again, the idea of a California master plan on aging. And there's a 20-year um, history of trying to get something like that going. And uh, respite care is one issue. And then there is um, Senior Rally Day is scheduled for, Mar for May 7th, 2019. I'll get more information at the end of the month. And then all of the area agencies gave their reports. So we meet again February 27th and 28th. And on the 28th, we'll be attending the C4A Capital Day. So I'll report on that at the April meeting. Thank you very much, Diane. Any comments or questions? I have a question. Um, hi, Diane. Thank hi. you for that. Um, could you tell me when the senior rally, rally day was at the 7th or the 17th? May 7th. May 7th. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you very much. You're welcome. Next is the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council, Marie Jobling. Good afternoon, everyone here. Um, so the last, uh, so the meeting I'm reporting on was January 10th, um, and like most of the meetings, it starts with announcements. So that the first announcement was about the Dignity Fund. Mark Burns provided a reminder that we were that there was a forum with the mayor scheduled for the following day at the public library, hosted by the Dignity Fund Coalition, which, by the way, was very successful and can be viewed on the coalition's website, which is sfdignityfund.org. Um, the other announcement was about the long-term care system and policy recommendations that the council has been working on over the last few months. Um, uh, Executive Director Shireen discussed the policy statement as it is, uh, was evolving. Um, people had a brief discussion and it actually came back around uh, at yesterday's meeting for priorities. Um, so you'll just have to wait till next month like the cliffhangers of old to find out what those priorities were. Um, we had two very weighty presentations. One was about um, from the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development about their consolidated plan, their analysis of impediments to fair housing, and the HIV housing plan. Um, and that overview really provided sort of high level about the issues, the timeline for the plan's development, um, and particularly focus on um, issues from the perspective of long-term care. Um, again, that PowerPoint presentation um, is also on the LTC's website, which is um, ltcsf.org. Um, the Mayor's Office on Housing and Community Development uh, stated they'd like to partner with the Long-Term Care Council to do a separate forum uh, into the future and also agreed to come back in either June or July to provide an update. Um, the second sort of weighty presentation was um, a result of all the hard work from the Assisted Living Work Group um, and the highlights of that report were provided and the group voted and approved the draft report as it was um, and now it's been presented to the mayor uh, hopefully for action. Again, um, the next meeting is coming up uh, fairly soon and if you're interested in any of the things we've talked about today, it is on the website for the Long-Term Care Council which again is ltccsf.org. Questions? Thank you, Marie. Any comments or questions? Thank you very much. Case report. 
Good afternoon, Commissioners and Executive Director McSpadden, Greg Moore, co-chair of CASE. Um, our 2019 is off to a very busy start. We've had a couple of um, presentations at January and February meetings that were excellent. Elizabeth London in January um, from the Hub, talking about the Hub and its resources, which was uh, particularly helpful uh, as we have um, a good handful of uh, new case members. Um, so good to educate them and um, increase their knowledge of resources out there. Um, and then this month we had uh, Benson and Adele uh, speaking, presenting on the Ombudsman program. So excellent, excellent um, uh, learning experience for all of us. Um, next month we will be having Dr. Jolene Johnson from UCSF uh, talking about the results from her study on the community choir program. Uh, we've been looking forward to this for months and months. If any of you are interested, we'd love to have you join us. Um, last month, we also had our annual elections, and all of the officers uh, were reelected. So myself and Sue Horst will be co-chairs, Christina Irving as secretary, and uh, Patty Clement as treasurer. Um, we also have uh, ramped up our advocacy campaign starting much earlier. We've already begun uh, scheduling and holding meetings, individual meetings with supervisors to present our 2019-20 uh, budget year ask that was uh, sent to Director McSpadden in December. <clears throat> um, the reason that we've done this is to uh, allow additional time during the budget process for um, follow-up meetings so that we can do additional um, advocacy work. We'll also be scheduling a meeting with Budget Director uh, Kelly Kirkpatrick and hopefully with the mayor. We'll, we'll see how far we get with that. And then we continue to uh, work on our proposed Celebration of Aging event, uh, which uh, we've tentatively slated for September. Uh, we now have begun looking for um, funding sources and hopefully in the, the very near future, we'll be able to present in more detail on that. Questions? Thank you very much. Any comments or questions? I have a quick question. Could you say a little bit more about the celebration on aging? What has that what, historically been? Uh, it hasn't. So oh, this hasn't. is a, a um, an idea that we began talking about, the case board began talking about a year and a half ago or so, um, a signature citywide event uh, to celebrate aging and persons with disabilities, uh, to not only as a celebration, but also as a resource uh, event where um, agencies and for-profit uh, companies could, could um, meet with the public, uh, performances uh, of different type um, types. Um, yeah, well, the idea came up actually uh, based on a conversation when we talked about many, many years ago, uh, an annual event that was held for several years, citywide event called Beta Breakfast. Uh, and so we thought, particularly with efforts that uh, were in the works and have are still in the works uh, for around reframing aging, we thought that this tied in nicely with that. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Yeah, Martha? just on that same topic, um, the, it sounds like a great event. And I know that the Jewish Community Center does something that isn't this sounds like it has a lot more dimension to it, a citywide event with other aspects to it, but are you working with them? There's a 
Are you uh, aware of that, first of all, a Jewish Community Center does? We are aware of that, yeah. and we have not yet because we're still trying to uh, get planted in terms of okay. funding. Okay, for yeah, the event. So yeah. before we put the cart before the horse. Yeah, because it's, uh, it's a good resource fair. It goes on for a day. Yeah. And it would be sort of the, the hub of what you were going to be doing, but it sounds like what you're going to be doing is much broader. So Yeah, we yeah. want to um, um, not only um, attract our, our seniors that are currently um, participating and enjoying the, the resources out there, but uh, draw in new Yeah. Uh, clients and not necessarily all seniors we'd love to have younger mm -hmm. uh, coming and learning about the the joys of aging um, and also uh, something that we would particularly like to uh, to have part of it is uh, um, using technology to bring in satellite locations mm -hmm. all of that sounds so, great so good yeah, luck with it very exciting thank you any other comments or questions thank you very much thank you Item five, any old business? Item six, new business. We'll begin with item A, and that is a review and approval of the DOS fiscal year 1920 and 2021 budget. Welcome, Daniel Kaplan. Thank you. Okay, I'm gonna start off asking for your help. Um, so, thank you, commissioners. I'm here today um, to uh, present to you and ask for your approval on the DAS budget. The, the process of developing a budget is something that, um, that takes many people, so some of them are budget. Dan, can we have you talk to Are in, you are in the audience the today. I, yeah, I'll, I'll, thanks for the reminder. I'm good. Um, so em Emily Gibbs, Ruth Levine, and Alex Gleason are the three members of the budget staff who focus most heavily on, um, on the DAS budget, and they are here today. But, but, you know, there are many people who work on this, uh, program directors, program managers, uh, uh, Shireen, uh, certainly, and, uh, and we kind of work through it together. So we're at a point now where um, we're, we're ready to present. Uh, we will be sending this with your blessing, uh, assuming with your blessing, um, to the mayor's office on the 21st. And after that, we'll go through a long period of discussion with the mayor's office, which will ultimately lead to the mayor's budget, which will be um, uh, transmitted to the Board of Supervisors on June 1st. And then after that, We'll go through about a six-week period where there'll be discussion back and forth between the mayor's office and agencies and the uh, board and the budget and legislative analyst's office. And, and by going through that process, we will ultimately uh, get to a budget that the board uh, will pass and the mayor will sign. And that'll happen by mid-July. So that's the, the rough schedule. Um, as this first slide uh, shows, um, we uh, have uh, some budget reduction targets in the budget for this year. They are uh, relatively small in the scheme of things, and they relate not only to the DAS budget, but to the entire HSA budget. So they are $750,000 in the first year and $1.5 million in the second year. Um, and 
I, I should say to start off that those are those are reductions in general funds, and so our budget is comprised of general funds, dedicated funds, state funds, federal funds, and realignment funds, which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, a reduction of this size, uh, at least in this year, is small enough for us to uh, to meet with new revenues. So we've had increases in revenues uh, in some of our programmatic areas. If we look at HSA as a whole, we've had decreases in the CalWORKs and the CalFresh uh, allocations. We've had increases in um, the IHSS and the Medi-Cal allocations. Uh, realignment revenue, which as I said, I will talk about in a moment, has gone up. So when we put it all together, we, we, can, incorp we can incorporate new revenues that will cover these reductions. So, so there is no uh, staff, service, uh, or client impact to those reductions, although we will have a little less general fund in our budget. Um, so, let's, here we go. So the first slide, we, we tend to look at the budget in terms of um, three views, uh, the revenue view, um, the uh, the program view and uh, and then the expenditure type review. So what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to jump ahead one slide and then jump back. Um, so this is the program view, and as you can see, the budget um, grows by about thirty-five million dollars, but um, but most of that growth, about three-quarters of it, is in the uh, what we call the IHSS maintenance of effort budget. And so the IHSS program, as you know, is uh, a large program, 20,000-plus uh, clients, uh, and it provides, um, it provides personal assistance services to all those clients. And, and it does that primarily... Uh, through the use of independent providers, many of whom are relatives or friends of the folks they care for, uh, who, are, who are paid uh, a wage and who have access to health benefits as a result of, uh, of their uh, work as IHSS workers. And the way counties contribute to the cost of the IHSS program has changed uh, a number of times over the years. Uh, if we go back eight years ago, there was a county share of costs on individual hours of service. Uh, then we moved to what was called a maintenance of effort payment, uh, which, was, which was very generous to counties, actually, compared to the previous way of contributing to costs. And then in 2017, the state passed SB 90, which rebased uh, the maintenance of effort payment for counties and increased the cost to counties collectively by about $600 million a year um, and uh, introduced inflation factors that uh, were much greater than, uh, than what counties had experienced before and also uh, introduced two changes that specifically affected San Francisco County. Uh, one was uh, a change that required 
increases in the maintenance of effort for wage increases that were occasioned by voter-approved initiatives like our local minimum wage initiative, and the other was increases uh, in costs relating to contract mode services. Uh, and San Francisco is the biggest user of contract mode services by far. And, and those were two items that hadn't been covered in uh, the previous MOE law, and San Francisco had not been paying increases on those increased costs. Um, so, uh, so we have a, a situation now, and I will talk about this in a little bit more detail as we move forward, where our maintenance of effort costs are growing relatively rapidly. And they're growing relatively rapidly uh, primarily because wages in San Francisco for the IHSS program are growing relatively rapidly. They're not high wages by any means, although they are the highest wages in the state. So, um, so when the minimum wage ordinance was passed several years ago, it quickly caught up to the wage that was being paid in the IHSS program. And since then, uh, up until uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've been paying the minimum wage as the IHSS wage. So the IHSS wage uh, increased from $14 last fiscal year to $15 this fiscal year. Um, then uh, in, uh, in the autumn, the board passed a new minimum compensation ordinance. And the minimum compensation ordinance set a new higher wage for uh, employees of community-based organizations and IHSS workers. And those wage increases are phased in in slightly different schedules. Uh, so the first IHSS worker increase occurred on February 1st of this year. And it moved, the wage moved from $15 an hour to $16 an hour. And then in July it will move to $16.50 an hour, which will also then be the, the CBO uh, minimum compensation ordinance wage. The CBO minimum compensation ordinance wage today is still $15 an hour. So they're, they're a little bit out of sequence with each other. But, but the basic idea uh, is to get them both to $16.50 on July 1st, and then the CBO wage will increase by uh, the CPI. And the IHSS worker wage will actually increase a little bit faster than that over the next few years. So suffice it to say, because of that change uh, and other, other ways of the working of the MOE, uh, our increase in the MOE between 1819 and 1920 is currently estimated to be $26 million. So that's the biggest change in this budget. Um, there are also some changes that are related to the IHSS program uh, that I'll mention as well. Uh, benefits costs are going up uh, by a little over a million dollars. Those are mainly because of a higher uptake rate for benefits for IHSS workers. Um, and. Uh, and then um, the cost of the contract mode program is going up as well. And there's a little bit in the way of more hours in there, and, uh, and there is wage growth in there as well. And then the last item is, the, um, is what's labeled here as the Office of Aging slice of the pie. That is mainly uh, dignity 
fund growth. Um, so, okay. So now we're going to go backwards one slide. And, uh, and this is the view of the budget in terms of, of revenue. And what you see there is, is that the big jump in uh, revenue, or, or I guess not in this case non-revenue, is the general fund slice of the pie. And the um, IHSS MOE is paid for through a combination of uh, general funds and 1991 realignment revenue. And so uh, we've estimated the amount of 1991 realignment revenue uh, growth. The, the controller's office will actually come along and they will re-estimate this number before we finalize the budget. So we will end up with a different number than that unless, well, I, with v incredibly high probability. Um, and, uh, and the general fund number will change as well. Uh, but in San Francisco, we treat uh, realignment revenue as, a, uh, as an offsetting cost to general funds. And so uh, those two, two pieces of the pie come together. Um, okay. And then, of course, the other piece of jump is in uh, dignity fund. Okay. And then if we go to this slide, which is uh, sort of what are, what are the categories in which we spend the money in the budget, uh, what, what you will see again is that the big growth is in aid, what we call aid payments, and aid payments are made up primarily of uh, the IHSS maintenance of effort payment. Uh, plus the money that we spend on contract mode services, plus the money that we spend on benefits for IHSS workers. So those represent aid payments. Uh, we also have growth in CBO contracts, which is mainly dignity fund growth. Uh, and then we have uh, growth in salaries and fringes, which is the, the standard COLAs uh, for uh, city workers and the growth in um, in health and retirement benefit costs. Okay, so since the IHSS MOE is fiscally the biggest part of this change, I thought we'd spend a minute or two talking about that. Um, and uh, and budget staff have broken this into component parts. So as you can see from the bottom line, the increase in the first year of uh, the biennial budget is $26 million, and then a further $11 million in year two. Um, and, and so this breaks out into, into various pieces. So the first piece is uh, actually uh, two things. One is the required inflation on the uh, IHSS MOE, which this year is 7%, uh, plus um, what we call the reduction in the general fund offset. So when the IHSS MOE was rebased back in 1718, uh, the uh, state government said, okay, we will offset the costs for counties in the first year, and then we'll offset the costs for counties less in the second year and less still in the third year. This is the third year. Uh, so, the, so there is a reduction in the amount that the MOE is offset. This is all structured in a very complicated way, um, certainly. Um, the second row um, 
is our it's fifteen million dollar reduction, and this is our estimate of the impact of a proposal made by Governor Newsom with regard to the IHSS MOE. And when Governor Newsom came in, he said, "Okay, you know, I have heard the state has been hearing for two years that the IHSS MOE is very high and growing too fast to be sustainable." And so I'm going to make a proposal to try and make it sustainable. And what I'm going to do is I am going to essentially rebase the MOE down. And he proposed rebasing it down by about $450 million statewide. And then as we go forward in time, instead of 7% inflation each year, uh, it'll grow by 4% a year. It's a very substantial uh, decrease in costs. It's a substantial decrease in the first year, and then it's a substantial decrease in the growth of the costs over time. So assuming the legislature accepts this change, which we are assuming, um, this will make a very big difference in the financing of this program over the next uh, several years. Um, the third row is around um, just the calculation of the MOE. So the MOE it was rebased back in 1718 based on hours uh, that were actually worked within the counties in 1718. We have only just now finally gotten a uh, sort of accounting of the hours, and our hours actually worked in 1718 were a little bit higher than we thought they were back when we made last year's budget. In addition, the state has decided that um, in computing the hours, they should treat an overtime hour as an hour and a half. There's been a certain amount of argument about this, but I think they're going to make that stick. And so, um, so that caused us and other counties to underestimate the costs of the <coughs> IHSS MOE by a little bit. So that adds uh, $2.4 million in the first year of the biennium, and then after that, it'll carry forward. Um, and then there's a, uh, an increase to the IHSS MOE by uh, bringing our wages in San Francisco up from $15 an hour to $16.50 next year, and then again to $17.50 in the year after that. And then the last item and the smallest is uh, contract mode increases. Okay. So, so the budget is, the basic budget is a very stable budget. And the dollar amounts change a lot, but it's almost entirely because of the way the IHSS program works. Um, so we are also uh, moving forward making a couple of proposals in the DAS budget uh, to the mayor's office for possible inclusion going forward. Um, and the first of these uh, relates to the housing conservatorship po uh, program, and we're proposing adding two positions. One is a conservator position, and the other is a supervising conservator uh, position. 
and and the reason is really to make use of better use in the city of changes in the conservatorship program and additions to the conservatorship program uh, allowed by Senate Bill 1045 and amendments to Se Senate Bill 1045 that are currently being worked through the legislature with, with a great deal of involvement from San Francisco. Um, so, uh, so this will um, allow us to work uh, with a, a slightly expanded group of folks and, uh, and to work on uh, slightly different models of conservatorship. I don't know, Shireen, do you want to add a little bit to that? Or? Um, I can if people have questions, but I think that's essentially the, the gist of it is um, what we really want to do is, is build up our capacity to serve more people. I and mean, we know that in, with the current legislation the way it is that we're probably not going to be serving huge numbers of people in this year, but we're building infrastructure, and, and we believe that next year with some of the amendments to um, the current bill, there will be more people coming through our doors, and we'll be able to, if we have these staff, it'll really help us to serve them um, appropriately. Daniel? <clears throat> Yeah. Just um, can you just explain where this seven percent inflation number comes from and whose idea that is? It seems very high. The seven percent in the IHSS program. Right. <laughs> um, I, I can give you my jaundiced opinion of where it comes that from. That would be welcome. Um, so, so. <laughs> The IHSS MOE has always been a kind of a negotiated. Um, uh, thing between uh, the counties working together and the state. Um, and back in, uh, 20, in the 2012 session when the original IHSS MOE went into effect, there was a big negotiation about what would be the annual inflation rate that would be imposed. And uh, the ultimate agreement was on 3.5 percent a year. And, and the concept was that that would, in, that would include some group of cost increases that wasn't incredibly clearly spelled out. So those could include growth in caseload, and, and with growth in caseload, growth in hours of service, um, costs of health benefits in, uh, in places like San Francisco that have a, a health benefit model where there is a, a health benefit package that's made available to the clients and is not changed every year, but where the costs over time do go up. They don't necessarily go up every year, but they go up over time. Um, and and uh, so those things would be covered by this, or the county share of those things would be covered by the 3.5% increase. And at the time we had that negotiation, um, the IHSS program had actually been very stable in terms of caseload for a number of years. It just happened to be right at that moment. Before that, the IHSS program had been growing pretty rapidly. And frankly, after that point, the IHSS program has been growing pretty rapidly. And um, so when the state uh, passed Senate Bill 90, uh, you know, they brought forward the idea of changes in the IHSS program because they, they said, and, and this is a true statement, that they were absorbing a larger and larger share of the total costs of the IHSS program, and counties were uh, absorbing a smaller and smaller share over time. 
And they said, we think that, that the program costs from caseload and from, from health benefit increases is closer to 7% a year. Um, so that, that's where that came from, and uh, that got written into the, the version of SB 90 that went to the legislature. There was, there was a lot of argument about it as, it was, as the bill was being negotiated. Thank you. So uh, the second item in the, uh, in the list of um, proposals actually comes from work that was done under the auspices of the Long-Term Care Coordinating Council. And this is recommendations of the Assisted Living Work Group. And the Assisted Living Work Group was a group uh, comprised of members of the LTCCC, uh, staff from our planning office, staff from DAS, uh, and, and a, few, uh, a few ringers we pulled in from places like UCSF. And, and, um, and basically what the uh, work group did was it focused on uh, demand for assisted living services, especially for low-income uh, residents, uh, supply of, of assisted living services, especially for low-income residents, and strategies that could be used to, uh, to increase um, supply and, and make uh, this level or type of service more available to low-income residents in the city who needed it. Um, and so what, what's listed on um, this sheet are a set of strategies that the work group proposed. Um, and you know, they build off the, the notion, the sort of the central findings of the work group that there's not enough capacity for low-income residents and e even for capacity that exists, low-income residents of the city by and large can't afford what's there. Or they can't afford what's there without some meaningful supplement or, or patch is a word that's sometimes used. But anyway, a contribution from someone else besides them. And um, so, you know, so the, the strategies involve providing more supplements. They involve providing uh, higher supplements for some folks that would gain access to uh, more facilities that are out there now and primarily uh, support a slightly higher income uh, market. Um, they include um, notions of uh, potentially either city building of facilities or making land available because land costs are very high. Uh, there are uh, some recommendations that relate to better supporting the board and care sector of the market uh, by helping with workforce, um, helping with uh, collective purchasing of, of uh, various things uh, from insurance to potentially food, um, and, uh, and then um, working to enhance the state's assisted living waiver uh, program uh, to get more assisted living waiver slots available so that state Medicaid money becomes available to pay a supplement uh, for clients. So, so these, those are the basic ideas of the study. Um, we uh, 
you know, DAS is not the sole actor in this by any means. Um, Department of Public Health has, uh, has a presence here. There are uh, certain parts of this that Office of uh, Workforce Development has a, a part. Uh, HSA potentially on its Department of Human Services side has a part in, uh, in some of the labor type issues on this. So as part of uh, the work of presenting our budget, we will be sitting down with the mayor's office and kind of hammering out what the next steps are and who needs to be involved and, and, and which of these uh, recommendations uh, we will be moving towards implementing. So we don't have a, a specific, you know, it's not, the, the first item was two positions to do a specific thing. This is a much more open-ended recommendation and it's the beginning of a conversation that that we and the mayor's office and various other agencies and ultimately uh, the private sector or the, the not-for-profit sector will be having around this issue. Okay. And I think I spoke to this at the beginning. We have a schedule. We'll be, we'll be submitting next week with your blessing. So, um, so at this point, uh, my presentation is finished. We can, I can take questions. Shireen can take questions. Thank you, Daniel. That was very thorough. Um, on the IHSS budget, have um, you been? I assume you've been working with um, the public authority, and that they're comfortable with this proposal. And I'm sure they need more money, but that they're accepting, they're comfortable with this proposal. Uh, yes. Okay. Good. Any other comments or questions? Just Commissioner Pappas. Thank you. And I'd, excuse me, I'd like the record to show that Commissioner Pappas has joined us. Apologies for my tardiness. Um, I know that there's some concern about a, a recession ahead of us. How would that impact long term? So it's a good question. And I think, you know, the challenge that we have at any given time in building a budget is we start off with a financial forecast. And, and, and we don't do that as individual agencies. We do that as a city. So uh, the city, uh, the city's uh, economist, um, the controller's office, the mayor's budget office, and the budget and legislative analysts all come together to do both a revenue forecast and a current uh, current law expenditure forecast uh, for the city. And uh, their goal in doing that is to establish if there is one a gap between revenues and expenditures and I'm sure it won't come as any surprise to you because this has been the case at least for the six years I've been here and I'm sure it has been for much longer than that that uh, that we do have what uh, what is often described as a structural imbalance with our our cost structure uh, having costs growing a little bit faster than our our revenue structure um, so in building uh, the sort of the underlying financial model for this budget, what, what they have done is they've, um, they've looked at the economic indicators they can, and they have said it is reasonable to assume modest revenue growth over the next two years. Uh, they, you know, they have some uh, scenarios for uh, what would happen in recessions of various sorts. And you know, and of course, m most recessions are are relatively mild, and there are a slowing up of growth or a slight decline. We're all sort of um, 
very aware of the last recession we went through, which was a huge and an unusually large recession where we had a genuinely large drop in revenue. But so there are models about that. The city has reserve funds, but um, this budget is built on the notion of slow, continued growth. Thank you. Okay, Commissioner Liu. Daniel, you mentioned that uh, the, uh, this cut from the mayor's office and you anticipate you'll be kind of a write-off from the increase in the revenue. Where are you going to increase the revenue? So, uh, rev so revenue increases will come from a number of places. Um, they come from the increase in um, statewide allocations for IHSS administration and for Medi-Cal administration. Uh, and they also come in our uh, realignment growth projections. Um, and just to say only, only two sentences on realignment. Realignment growth is money that comes to this agency uh, f from the state sales tax and state vehicle licensing fee. And the governor projects it each year, and we actually get a standard percentage as uh, the, the agency within San Francisco that does social services. And so, so our projection is really based on the governor's projection. So. Thank you. Thank you. Daniel, one other question. It's a general question, not so much about this particular budget, but one of the risks that I think loom for both the state and the city is the underfunding of pension and medical costs for retirees. And has the city been addressing that issue in its current and projected budgets? So, so the city is attempting to responsibly maintain its um, ability to fund the pension system. And, um, you know, and that continues. And one of the cost growth areas that we have is around uh, retiree benefits. So it's, uh, when you sit in a room with a group of uh, uh, financial officers from city agencies, it's a topic that always comes up. But, you know, it, it, so it's a pressure on the budget. But it's, it's, a, it's a pressure that the city is attempting to address in this budget. Because actuarial analysis vary all over the place as to how much should be reserved every month and so it's over a year. So it's very difficult to get that number quantified precisely. But most governments, um, most state and city governments, are running short in terms right. of their contribution. And so it is a concern. Uh, especially when we're growing staff, and so. But anyway, thank you. Um, any other comments, Commissioner? If I could, just one last. Uh, first of all, thank you very much for this presentation and the time that goes into it. Um, it was really excellent, and yes, I, I don't have a lot of questions because it's so clear. <coughs> so thank you for that. The only thing that I sort of saw that I didn't hear you just if you could do a couple minutes on new positions or it was under position changes, and it just had to do with the county veterans service office representing new classifications to address specialized recruitment needs. And I just was curious as to what's going on there. If you, just two or three sentences just to sort of sure. illustrate that so, for us. So first thing I should say, we're not adding 
positions I, here. I um, got we're, that. Yeah. <laughs> we are we are in in your books. There is a table of reclassifications, yes. and I think I can. I, I do understand the okay. difference. Yeah. Fourteen of them. Um, you know the um, the Veteran Service Office has been one where for a number of year now, years now we felt like we were out of our classifications were out of sync with the work. Uh, that uh, that veteran service officers were actually doing, and uh, between our age, between DAS, uh, my uh, personnel department, and the city personnel department, we really tried to uh, come up with a more appropriate job description, and and that's what's reflected here. Okay, so it's not. I guess it it sort of read as uh, maybe something that was required, like like. So, Suddenly, people there have to have new certifications or accreditations, and I, I just—not that to belabor it—I was just cu more curious than anything else about that. But if it meant something different well, around how we're serving veterans, or uh, sorry, I'm going to call on a okay, for this. yeah, okay, but I can answer the question also. Yeah, if, sorry. If, and I just need I, to, yeah. After we made her get up, mm, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> So basically, yes, the, the county veteran service officers are required to be certified by the state and the feds. Uh -huh. um, really, the, the, really what we're doing, though, in this is really trying to fix some inequalities within our classification system so that the county veteran service officers are, are classified correctly. Okay. And so it's really a technical change for us. So once they are accredited and all the things they're supposed to be, their positions reflect the... They, yeah. What they're doing. They, and they do that regardless. And we've never had an issue with that. Specifically, we're really just trying to fix something around recruitment and retention um, and really making sure that this fits within our whole system of classifications. Okay, thank you. That's okay. Yeah. This, is, this is an issue I that, get it. Yeah. that has been kicking around for a few years now. So I think finally we're at a place where we've got it. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Well, hearing none, then call the question. All in favor? Aye. 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 Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you very much, Daniel, and the department. Was, as Commissioner Newton pointed out, it's a tremendous amount of work, and you make it look simple, and it isn't. <laughs> Item B, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Bayview-Hunters Point Multipurpose Senior Service Services for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $230,435 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $253,478. Welcome, Timothy. Welcome, Tiffany Kearney. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon, Commissioners, President Serenya and Executive Director McSpadden. This um, grant with Bayview Senior Services is for intergenerational programming. It is one of six that I will be presenting um, for the Commission's approval. The um, community, uh, community research conducted for the Dignity Fund Needs Assessment revealed that older adults and adults with disability desire opportunities to interact with youth. Um, they appreciate gatherings that are inclusive of all ages and enjoy contributing to their community. Because of these findings and as a recommendation in the needs assessment report, the department is supporting six new intergenerational programs to meet the needs. 
All of the intergenerational programs presented this afternoon cultivate shared experiences, um, promote ongoing participation and support relationship building to help address social isolation, a problem that we know many of our clients are at risk for. Uh, the program creates opportunities that will allow our consumers to share their knowledge and skills and experience. Um, this will also help reinforce feelings of being a valued community member. Bayview Senior Services uh, program will be, com be coordinated at the Dr. Uh, George W. Davis Senior Center located in District 10. Bayview Senior Services has a long history of welcoming youth and individuals of all ages because the center serves as a neighborhood hub. While intergenerational program programming um, has existed there informally uh, and served Bayview's clients well, a structured approach with consistent programming will be even more beneficial and is desired by the community. Bayview will expand their existing relationships with uh, youth organizations in District 10 and develop new ones to offer a variety of intergenerational programming such as technology and cooking classes, yoga class, outings in the community, and mentoring groups. Some activities will be scheduled weekly, um, such as the technology class and the gardening group. Others, um, twice a week during the summer when youth have more time, such as a cooking and music class. Baby will have a full-time program coordinator to oversee the new program. Uh, Bayview will provide an average of 50 hours of intergenerational programming a month and will engage at least 150 consumers each year. And um, I would be happy to answer any questions the commission may have at this time about this grant agreement. Thank you. Thank you very much. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Liu? Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule uh, site chart, okay? And days open is set Monday through Saturday. So we have 52 weeks in a week, but the total number of service days is 150. That's low. Um, well, 150 would be the half year. Okay. Thank you. Any other Thank comments you. or questions? Just just so I have sort of a picture of these programs, which sound wonder, sound wonderful, and of course I support them. Are the pe people that we're serving, are they the volunteers who will then interact with the young people? I mean, kind of how does that, how does a, just one example of one of the programs work? Just so I kind of... So I, um, well, these are new programs, so they're not actually working, working, but how it's proposed in, um, in their proposal would be that, um, so the older adults or adults with disability, those are the clients, um, and they would, um, the people who are volunteering, you know, the younger the youth, okay. um, those would be the volunteers, but those aren't necessarily the clients. Our clients are the DOS clients. That I, you know, all I'm do, trying to do is get a picture of it. So how, if there's a, a technology class, that's the, that's the younger volunteers right. helping them with technology. Correct. In other ways, I guess all I'm getting at is all, are the seniors and people who are disabled sometimes the mentors for the younger people? Yeah, does that it, could, that could happen as yeah. well. And I think um, Kathy Davis is here, and she might want to explain 
um, some more of their ideas, how they've been brainstorming this program. Um, but I do think it can go both ways, and that's one of the things that we um, that we looked for in all the proposals was to have a two-way sort of a give and you know give and receive. Okay, that's what I kind of. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to? Um, Good afternoon, commissioners. I'm Kathy Davis. I'm executive director of Bayview Senior Services, and we're really excited about doing intergenerational activities. Last Saturday, we had um, an intergenerational jewelry class with young people and seniors working together making jewelry for Valentine's Day, and it's it's a two-way street. The seniors learn, the, the, the kids learn, and we work with all kinds of groups already in Bayview. Be Magic has a lot of organizations that we interact with. We're hosting our annual Black Cuisine, and there will be kids volunteering and seniors volunteering side by side. So it's kind of who we are already as an organization. So to be able to formalize this and actually say we're having this class and we actually have someone making those connections happen, they already happen informally, and now we're able to really you know, solidify it. So we're excited about that opportunity, and it's, it's kind of... Uh, great to see because I think the future of aging is that seniors aren't going to be shut away, you know, in senior centers just hanging out among themselves. They need to give back to the next generation, and just being around older people is really important for younger people. So it's it, it goes both ways. I figured that. I just was trying to get. A yeah, I'm I'm really you. excited. This is like my heart. I love this stuff, and, and it's been happening informally. So it's exciting to see that we can actually create it uh, as a program. Thank you very much. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Seeing none, all, call the question all in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item C, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Kimochi for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021, in the amount of $267,110, plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $293,821. Welcome back, Tiffany. Thank you. Hello again. Um, so Kamochi's uh, new intergenerational program that I'm presenting for your approval is um, called CARE, and CARE stands for Children, Adults, Respecting Elders. Kamochi is located in District 5. They offer an array of services for older adults and adults with disability and their families. Their services, uh, the services they provide are ethnically and culturally relevant to the Asian and Pacific Island communities. They are known for their expertise in providing services to the Japanese community. And in recent years, Kamochi um, has broadened its expertise in serving the Korean community. Kamochi has an agreement in place with um, the Japanese Community Youth Council to help facilitate and coordinate care. The care program has four components. Um, where the first component involves uh, the Youth Council's preschool program, whereby older adults and adults with um, disability visit and interact with the children and help with activities at the preschool. The second component is a tech uh, support program. In this program, high school and college students will host tech hours for individuals who may need help with a smartphone or want to learn a new app or other types of um, tech support. Uh, 
The third component is a holiday program uh, where youth groups uh, with their parents and Komochi's clients come together for special holidays and cultural events throughout the year to celebrate and participate activities together. The fourth uh, component is a program called Remember When. In this program, there are um, story exchanges between different generations, and the exchange may involve writing, photo memory boards, and videoing. The type of exchange will be dependent on the preferences of the participating individuals. Uh, Komochi will have one full-time program specialist dedicated <coughs> to the program, and they will, this person will work directly with the youth, youth council to coordinate the programming. Komochi will provide an average of 48 hours of programming a month and will engage at least 200 consumers annually. Um, thank you, and I'd be happy to answer any questions the commission may have at this time about this one. Thank you, Tiffany. Any comments or questions, Commissioner Pappas? Just one curiosity. Um, there is a very, very active Japanese-American religious federation in that neighborhood uh, comprised of the many different uh, uh, religious organizations and social service agencies. I'm, I'm guessing that they're probably going to somehow be engaged in this. It sounds like a perfect fit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not 100% positive on that, about mm -hmm. that organization, but there is a representative from Komochi here who might be able to address that. Thank you. You're welcome. Good afternoon, commissioners. My name is Sean O'Connell. I'm the director of programs at Kimochi. Um, and yes, we will be involved. There's a lot of overlap in the community and particularly some of the holidays that Tiffany mentioned. So the holiday celebrations include Japanese holiday celebrations and then traditional American Western holiday celebrations. So um, New Year's in the Japanese culture is a very religious holiday. And we also have Obon, which is uh, honoring our disease, deceased ancestors. And so in those uh, arenas, we would involve the local religious organizations and of course, um, Families are equally involved in the JCYC and also in the church program, so a lot of overlap between constituents. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item D, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Lighthouse for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $73,475 <coughs> plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $80,823. Tiffany. Okay, this third one that I'm presenting uh, is with Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Um, Lighthouse also provides a variety of services for youth and adults who are blind and have low vision. Their intergenerational program will bring together um, older adults and younger generations through learning workshops. The workshops will mutually engage older adults and younger generations in skill building, knowledge, and experience sharing and mentoring as well. The workshops will focus on activities and topics that are of interest to the community. Examples include cooking, personal care, social skills, organizational skills, and networking. On an annual basis, Lighthouse will provide these workshops 
uh, six weeks or every six weeks for a total of eight per year. The workshops are a half-day session, so about five hours each. In this program model, Lighthouse will engage about 45 consumers annually a year. Thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have about thank, this one. Thank you, Tiffany. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item E, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Mission Neighborhood Center for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $135,732 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $149,305. Tiffany. Okay, um, Mission Neighborhood Center is the fourth one that I'm presenting uh, for your approval. Uh, Mission Neighborhood Center has a successful and long-standing history of providing services that are culturally appropriate to a wide range of ages, from preschool age with their Head Start program to older adults and adults with disability. Their intergenerational program, named Weaving Hearts, will have three components. The first component is TechPal. TechPal is a um, youth-led technology uh, training program. Teenagers enrolled in one of Mission Neighborhood Center's youth programs will provide monthly workshops for older adults and adults with disability to increase their skill and comfort level with technology and navigating the internet. The second uh, component is a class called Each One Teach One. This is a percussion and singing um, exchange class. Under the direction of a music educator, older adults and adults with disability will learn songs and musical skills during the first half of the class. And in the second half of the class, the participants will engage the preschool children on site and their parents to teach and share what they just learned. The third component is a class called La Vida Comida. This class will bring together um, teenagers enrolled in one, uh, another one of Mission Neighborhood Center's youth programs and um, bring together the, those youth and the older adults and adults with disability to cook traditional healthy meals together. Um, the cooking class will use the professional services of a nutritionist to ensure that the recipes are healthy, which is beneficial to all. And the tech and cooking components will be monthly, and the music component will be weekly. Uh, Mission Neighborhood Center will provide an average of eight hours of programming a month and will engage at least 80 consumers annually. Thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have. Thank you. Any questions, Commissioner Liu? Yeah, Tiffany, I'm looking at the operating expense detail. Mm -hmm. Okay, and look at the food supplies, line 30. Mm -hmm. Why is it six months supply, food supply is 3,600? Um, because Are they buying equipment or what? Yeah, there's there's some like original like sort of stocking up of to get the program up and going, and also during the first um, several months, um, they are going to have the um, 
they're going to have the classes more frequently to sort of engage, get a lot more enthusiasm and engage participants. And then in the next two years, it's, it's less time. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I, that's why I was wondering, yeah. you know, six months. So it's I a combination of those two things. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you for the reminder, Commissioner Pappas. May I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do we have a second? Second. Any discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item F, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Northern California Presbyterian Homes and Services, NCPHS, for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $375,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $412,500. Tiffany. Okay, um, this uh, next grant, um, with Northern uh, California Presbyterian Homes and Services, who actually are now called Sequoia Living. Um, they just changed their name last week. Um, so I'm gonna go ahead and start referring to them as Sequoia Living. Um, their program has two components. The first component will engage older adults and adults with disability living in uh, 14 affordable housing sites located in San Francisco and where they provide resident service coordination. Each housing site will have a partnership with a neighborhood school uh, whereby the students and residents of the housing sites will engage in structured activities one to two times per month. Uh, Sequoia team members in collaboration with each school's faculty will develop the activities. The activities will take into account needs, ability, and interest of both the resident at the housing site as well as the students. The activities will be facilitated by the Sequoia team members. And some examples include gardening, a walking club, music appreciation, a mixed chorus, and potentially some crafting projects. The second component of Sequoia's intergenerational program is a mentoring program that will match individuals recovering from substance abuse with mentors in the community. Sequoia Living will recruit and train individual community members to be mentors to this specific population of older adults and adults with disability. Uh, the Sequoia team members will, rece re blah, will receive special training themselves um, to ensure um, those who enroll as both mentors and mentees are appropriate and that the matches made in addition to being intergenerational will promote uh, strong supportive relationships. The frequencies of these interactions will vary. Um, at minimum, they would be once um, per month. Sequoia will have a full-time volunteer manager overseeing the programs. Uh, Sequoia Living will provide an average of 31 hours of programming um, a month. And they also anticipate an increased demand for both components of the program, and that's reflected in their units of service over the next couple of years. So um, thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have at this time. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? 
So move. Second. Thank you. Any further discussion? I'll call the question. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? <coughs> Thank you. The motion carries. Request item G. <coughs> Requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with Open House for the provision of intergenerational programs for older adults and or adults with disabilities during the period of January 1st, 2019 to June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $505,423 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $555,965. Tiffany. Okay, this last one I am presenting is a intergenerational program with um, Open House. Open House's programming specifically targets LGBTQ older adults and adults with disability. Uh, the Open House program has three components. The first is their Mentoring Across Generations program, also known as MAG. MAG provides opportunities for LGBTQ seniors and adults with disability to give and receive peer support and exchange perspectives and histories through biweekly face-to-face uh, -face visits with a trained volunteer from the LGBTQ or allied community. Volunteers are asked to make a one-year commitment and the matches are made based on um, the interest of both parties. The um, second component of their uh, program is uh, short, it, the shortened name is MISCI. Um, it is a collaboration with Little Brothers Friends of the Elderly and the Global Brain Health Institute at UCSF. Um, they, this collaborative will focus on reaching older adults and adults with disability who are isolated, frail, and have limited social interactions or a combination of these. Uh, MISCI matches two volunteers with a older adult or adult with disability to create a triad. Um, when creating the triads, the collaborative partners will consider um, interests, language preferences, and other factors that may be related that would help um, ensure successful matches. Um, the last component of Open House's program involves a partnership with Lyric. Um, Lyric is an LGBTQ youth organization. Open House and Lyric have successfully hosted an intergener intergenerational brunch that brings together uh, the communities that they both serve. In this new grant agreement, Open House will expand their relationship with Lyric and establish a intergenerational committee composed of Lyric interns, Open House staff, and community members to uh, co-design activities that will bring together their respective generations each organization serves on a more frequent basis. These additional activities will take place at Open House's Senior Center and um, community spaces located in District 8. The programs will be managed by an open house supervisor and additional support provided by an engagement coordinator. Open house will provide an average of 105 hours of programming a month. Um, they too anticipate increased demand for their programs and that is reflected in their units of service over the next couple of years. So. Um, I'm happy to take any questions you may have at this time about the program. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? I have one question, Tiffany. Um, it's a very important 
component in this in this program, and that is reaching um, LGBT older adults and adults with disabilities who are socially isolated and frail. What kind of strategy has been developed for reaching them? It's been a very frustrating process. We know many are there, far more than we're able to reach. But um, have, is there any new approach being um, considered? Um, I'm going to um, ask that um, Michelle with Open House come up, and she may be able to speak to that um, better than I can. I do know they do are doing a lot of re, um, outreach, um, but she can probably give you more specifics. Thank you. Welcome, good, Michelle. Hi. Good afternoon, commissioners. Um, so Open House, we have a newsletter that goes out to about 1,800 LGBTQ older adults across the city, in the, actually in the Bay Area. And we work closely with our community partners to ensure at NIHS, IHSS, other types of aging organizations to reach um, more isolated and frail folks who may come through their services. Also, um, the medical community, clinical folks, case managers, folks who are seeing people in their homes who are unable to actually attend open house um, programs in our in our space. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Is open house, um, before you go away, a grantee of the Meta Fund as well? We are a grantee of Meta, and we also um, are a grantee of the MHSA, mm -hmm. the California Reducing Disparities Project. It's the only um, organization that's working with older adults across the state to reduce mental health disparities in LGBTQ older older yeah, The reason I ask the question is, and, yeah. and perhaps to answer President Serena's uh, uh, question, is that grantees of the Meta Fund uh, are obligated, one of the big issues that they are concerned about is social isolationism. And so I think that that when that that has to be a component in, in some of your work. Absolutely. We definitely are beginning to track loneliness outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, and because we know that the loneliness is directly related to, to health outcomes. So we're very Thank excited you. about this project. Yeah. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? If, if I could, this, I just want to kind of hook this into all of what you've been doing. I, I, I know that there is re, are reporting requirements for all of these programs. I'm not asking that. I'm, but, I, but because of the, the uniqueness of this and sort of the, these are new, pro, new, a new emphasis and all of that that we're very interested in, is there a way that after, after the appropriate time period and when the reporting is done, we could get a general report on the lessons learned and and things like that because I, I think we're all very interested in in the success of this and and it's it's great news that these programs are happening so I think that might be really helpful to have something like that with with all of the programs collaborating and kind of right we can definitely do that and yeah. we're actually really excited about it and yeah. interested in, in seeing how these programs work right. this is something new for us so yeah it's we'll very do that. exciting yeah. so I just really applaud it happening thank you yeah and, and this program is consistent with some of the issues that were identified in the Dignity Fund in terms of um, where the needs are, so the needs assessment. So, again, any other comments or questions to the Commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Thank you. Um, all in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item H. Requesting authorization to enter into a grant agreement with Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired for the provision of volunteer visitor program services during the period of January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 
in the amount of $54,215 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $59,637. Tiffany, thank you. And I would just like to point out that item H and item I were not included in our package, but they were available online and copies have been brought to the commission and are available for the public as well. Thank you, Tiffany. Okay. Um, the grant agreement with Lighthouse for the Blind and Visually Impaired for a volunteer visitor program is one of two um, visitor programs that I'm presenting to the commission for approval. The visitor program aims to alleviate feelings of loneliness and mitigate social isolation, both of which can be challenges for older adults and adults with disability living in San Francisco. When DOS consumers were surveyed for the Dignity Fund Needs Assessment Report, they voiced concerns about feeling isolated and lonely. The report noted that DOS clients expressed the need and desire for more services to prevent social isolation. By connecting older adults and adults with disability to volunteers, uh, meaningful relationships can develop and make a world of difference to someone who feels alone. Lighthouse team members will recruit, screen, and train volunteers. They will also screen the client participants who request a visitor and conduct a home evaluation to ensure safety and appropriate matching. Once the onboarding process for both the volunteer and client participant is complete, Lighthouse will match clients with volunteers based on individuals' interests, personality, scheduling, needs and other relevant factors to support successful pairings and promote relationship building. Volunteers commit to a minimum of two visits per month for six months with each visit uh, being at least an hour in duration. On a yearly basis, Lighthouse will pair 35 consumers with volunteers and each will receive at least two hours of one-to-one -one visiting per month. Thank you, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you may have at this time about this grant. Thank you, Tiffany. Any comments of Commissioner Liu? Yeah, I'm looking at a service objective, page five. Mm -hmm. And I know that the first column is only for six months, okay? Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit concerned, the last one, the number of visits provided to client participants by volunteer visitors is only 135, which is only 16%. I'm just wondering, maybe it's when you start a program, it takes longer to kick off. Yes, that is, that is um, there would only, be, so it's about five, five months. Um, and 15 and 15 um, visitors. So it it would be roughly. How does that work out? Like 30. I mean, at the most, 30 hours for four to five months. So that's about 120. 120. So it's not going to. Like it hasn't started yet. So when we're already in February. So you, not all the visitors, like there's not going to be like March, like in March 1, there won't be 15 people. It's going to be a, a ramp up to get those 15 clients. Okay. So in, like in March, you, you might have like three people enrolled. And then in April, you may have 20. Correct. 
Well, I'm really a little bit kind of puzzled is the last one, the number of visits provided. 135? It's 135 hours. Oh, 135 hours, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm just looking at it. Uh, if it's uh, like six months, I'm just kind of, uh, it will be too, uh, because on a yearly basis, you have 840 hours? That's correct, but, but um, again, there's, a, there's an initial startup phase. So six months is, is January through June, right? But the program hasn't started in, um, in January. And again, it, it's not like they're gonna start out having consumers all 15. Yeah, what I'm saying is like, <clears throat> excuse me, it's like six months, if a whole year is 840 hours, and six months should be 420, but this is only 135, which is quite low. That's my question. I, I know is when you start a program, it, it really takes much longer to, to get the program started. Right. So I, the, so I think what, if what I'm hearing is that it is a slow buildup, but by the end of the year, they will have in a great many more volunteers and clients. And so it's a, it's a fast ramp up in the second half of the year. Is that, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? <coughs> Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? Do you have a second? Second. Thank you. All in, any further debate? <coughs> All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item I, requesting authorization to enter into a grant agreement with Covia Foundation for the provision of volunteer visitor program services during the period of January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2021 in the amount of $182,500 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $200,750. Tiffany. Okay, this is the last one. <laughs> um, the second volunteer grant agreement I'm presenting with is with Covia Foundation. Uh, Covia is a new contractor for the department and we are looking forward to working with them. Um, they are a nonprofit agency that has been providing uh, services and housing to seniors for over 50 years across the Bay Area. A few of their services include Well Connected, which involves virtual activity groups, Market Day, which is a produce market that sells fruits and vegetables at cost, and Social Call, a volunteer visitor program. Uh, Social Call has been um, successfully growing and operating in San Francisco for nine years. Uh, the program growth and increased demand for it is consistent with the information in the Dignity Fund Needs Assessment Report, and that is that consumers want services to help prevent um, social isolation and reduce feelings of loneliness. Um, like Lighthouse, Covia will uh, recruit, screen, and train volunteers. They also um, screen client participants and conduct home evaluations. Client and volunteer matches are made based on common interest and other pertinent factors for successful matches. 
Covia asked Social Call volunteers to provide weekly in-person visits for at least an hour and to commit for six months. However, their current average match length is um, over twice that at 15 months. Uh, Covia anticipates demand for this uh, program to continue. Um, to increase in the next few years, and that is reflected in their service units. During the term of this grant, Covia will pair 225 consumers with volunteers, and each will receive at least four hours of one-to-one -one interaction per month. Thank you, and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have Thank at this you, time. Tiffany. Any comments or questions from the commission? Just a quick one, just because uh, we got this a little bit later. Where, where? Generally, are these ha what's the location for some of these the Covia foundations, the housing? Um, well, uh, San Francisco Towers, I believe, is one. Um, I, there is one in Santa Rosa. Um, I don't know about the other ones in the city. Maybe if someone's from Covia, they can. Is someone here? They might be able to it's, just it's tell you. New, I don't. I, yeah. I don't know them all off the top of my head. I do remember San Francisco Towers, though. Okay. Hi, commissioners. Thank you. I'm Katie Wade, the director of Social Call. In the city, Covia has, as you mentioned, San Francisco Towers, a life plan community, and also Presidio Gates Apartments. Thank you. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? I have a question. Um, I have a question regarding the uh, evaluation project with the UC. Mm -hmm. uh, is put in the first year, so you give them the money in advance or what? Um, yeah, they're going to be working with, um, they're going to be wor working, Covia is going to be working with UCSF to um, get have the evaluation um, set up so that they can, and it'll go through the, the next couple of years. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, that was my question. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Just for the record, I reside at the San Francisco Towers, which is not one of the low-income communities that Covia supports, and it is totally separate from the Covia Foundation. So um, again, um, any other comments or questions? Call the question to have a motion to approve. Second. Thank you. All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? <coughs> Thank you. Motion carries. Item J, um, and I will remind people that this was the item that was modified at the beginning that we changed the agenda to reflect newer numbers. Requesting authorization to enter into a contract agreement with Resource Development Associates for the provision of research and analysis project for the development of dynamic resource directory during the period of February 1st, 2019 through to September 30th, 2019, in the amount of $49,950 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $54,907. Welcome, Melissa. I'm very interested in hearing about this. Thank you. So good afternoon, President Serena, Commissioners, Director McSpadden. Um, I'm Melissa McGee. I manage the Dignity Fund process for the department. So the goal of the recently conducted community needs assessment was to develop qualitative and quantitative data sets to identify areas of unmet need and to support DOS's strategic decision making. 
A major finding of the needs assessment was that many older adults, people with disabilities, caregivers, and healthcare providers in San Francisco are not informed, are confused, or simply do not know what services are available. There is currently no central and accessible repository of this information. Resource Development Associates will be contracted to conduct the research and analysis to assist and facilitate the department in its decision-making related to development of the most appropriate and effective resource directory design <coughs> and platform to increase access and support to the community. RDA will engage stakeholders prioritize functional requirements of the directory, and recommend interested and qualified vendors to develop the interactive online directory of services. The final product from RDA will be a comprehensive report summarizing research findings and will include specific and actionable recommendations to inform resource directory development efforts. This effort is being funded by the Stupsky Foundation and Hirsch and Associates. Both organizations have deep interest and experience in working with our communities. They are concerned with the void present and are committed to addressing this through funding of this phase of development. I request your approval to enter into this contract. Thank you. Any Thank you, questions? Melissa. Any comments or questions, Commissioner yeah. Liu? Um, how many bids do you, do you actually, how many people bid for this job? You know? I don't know. Six. Six. <coughs> Six, okay. And, and uh, so uh, uh, were there anyone from San Francisco bidding? Because this outfit is uh, in Oakland. Well, Cindy is thinking, although, yes, they are from Oakland, they um, have done a lot of work in, in San Francisco with various city departments, including DOS and HSA, so are familiar with our community. Thank you, Commissioner. Cindy Kaufman, Deputy Director of DOS, and I don't remember the exact, I know that most of the bidders were from the Bay Area, the region itself, but I can get back to you on that. Okay, yeah, I'm interested because if we are in San Francisco, I would like to see the uh, agencies in San Francisco get the business on the contract. We did extend the RFP um, time in order to gather in more um, applicants. Thanks. Thank you. Any other comments, Commissioner just, Knudsen? Just hopefully a quick question. Um, this is the first step, right? This is the first step of getting a resource directory. So yes. this will be the, the when you figure out what people want mm -hmm. and all that sort of thing, and then then start working on it. Um, as part of that, I, of course, what I'm learning through reading all of these is that the agencies that get the funding for this have a database currently that they have to enter in, information into around what they're achieving, right? There's it's the I think you guys know the name. It's the uh, care. What I'm referring to is the, the, the database that they have to use to uh, that the CBOs use yes. to to collect data. Yeah. The California the get care. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I know it's in it's in so each one of these that we read. Yeah. So as you're doing the statement of proposal and things like that, will there be some leveraging of the current information that already exists, but that it would then provide that information sort of outward. Is that 
the idea. So well, the, we're not we're not recreating wheels. We're sort of um, there's information we currently have that's in database form, and will it just be the a way of of a design that that takes advantage of that and then provides information to there is current people. information we have in database form. I think what we're what we're thinking with mm -hmm. this, what we're visualizing, is something that goes way beyond the, yes. our department. Yes, and really provides that. a good resource for a variety of consumers at right. different levels, including people with disabilities, older adults, caregivers, um, the medical and health communities, um, faith communities, and 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 our department staff, mm -hmm. and you know, and whoever that whoever else we can capture in that. And when when we came together, um, I think, you know, not just our department, but we've been talking with, I've been talking with people in the community about the need for this. Um, we're, we're really hoping it's going to be very broad-based. So we have some information, but what we're hoping is to have, you know, the information um, about our current contractors, but also go way beyond that. Um, we're looking at specifically things like, palliative care resources or dementia care resources, caregiver resources that may go beyond our current funding structure. So so, so what I'm imagining is that, and Phil, tell me, it's sort of a, a mega database resource kind of thing, that there's right. much information out there, but the idea that people could go to hopefully one place or, mm -hmm. or right. when they're doing their Google search for something, they kind of right. get directed to one, exactly. one thing. Is that... And we want it to yeah. be dynamic and comprehensive, so that dynamic meaning it's up to date. Mm -hmm. You know that um, it potentially we people would understand what capacity is in a particular program. You know that I mean, it, it, you know things like that. So we're, that's what we're hoping for. And then I guess my thought, my first sort of idea is just sort of like, but it will incorporate. Like, there's all this wonderful information we get and mm -hmm. that you know, and all of these resources. And of course, we're all about trying to make sure people know about them. Will right. we? always have that information in there. Is that part of, is that yes. like a core of, yes, of this? Yes, yeah. That's what I want to make sure. Right. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Great. Thanks, and, Commissioner. And with luck, it'll be very user-friendly. Yes. <laughs> right. It has to pass the commissioner test. Yeah, right. Can exactly. Use it. well, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do the beta test. Yeah, right. Exactly. Anybody can. So, um, any, any other comments from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve. I move, yeah. Second. Thank you. Um, any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you. Item K, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Community Living Campaign for the provision of reserve employment services for older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of December 1st, 2018, through June 30th, 2019, in an additional amount of $350,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $1,224,637. Welcome, Monty Cimino. Good morning, Good morning uh, Commissioners, President Serena. Afternoon, but time flies oh, having fun. <laughs> I'm a creature of habit. <laughs> Are we all? Uh, I'm Monty Cimino, a program analyst with Office on the Aging. And uh, today I'm here to seek your approval for uh, a modification of the grant with Community Living Campaign Reserve Program. Uh, the Reserve Program was rolled out in 2016 to develop employment opportunities for older adults and adults with disabilities here in San Francisco. The program looks to match participants with part-time employment 
in both the nonprofit and private sectors. The program model subsidizes the individual's wages to help them to help promote place, to help promote placement opportunities in San Francisco. In 2019, Community Living Campaign is looking to expand the footprint of the reserve model in San Francisco by partnering with the Jobs Now program and community-based nonprofits such as Felton and the YWCA to help connect older adults and adults with disabilities to a wider range of employment opportunities and training. With this expansion, the program is called Work Matters. The organizations involved will use their existing connections to conduct outreach and share information about the program as well as to help recruit potential participants. The pro program uh, will operate under the philosophy of many doors, one path to the right service. Felton and Jobs Now, in collaboration with the Reserve Program, will work to develop a set of questions to be used by each agency to screen participants in order to discover which employment program is right for them. Next, delegated staff from each agency will also work with the Community Living Campaign's Reserve Program to understand each program's general eligibility criteria. Then, the partnering agencies work to coordinate referrals to ensure older adults and adults with disabilities will be able to secure job placement services and training if necessary. Systems will be developed around the referral process to ensure that individuals don't fall between the cracks between agencies and to help facilitate the best services for those accessing employment services from each agency, the stakeholders will meet initially once a month to share materials, work through any programmatic barriers, and share successes as results of these new partnerships. In addition to, uh, to working together to promote job placement, Community Living Campaign, YWCA, and Felton will provide additional job readiness training, including specialized trainings for women and LGBTQ seniors and adults with disabilities. Uh, happy to answer any questions that you may have at this time. Thank you, Monty. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Liu. Uh, Monty, uh, this program started in um, uh, 2017, okay? It has been several years. Mm -hmm. um, there's no monitoring um, done site visit for this program? I conducted a site visit last fiscal year, and they were in compliance okay, from a program site. Okay, because it was side. not stated here. That's oh, why I was Okay, my apologies. Okay, yeah. thanks. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Second. Thank you. Um, any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Monty. Item I, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with YM. No, it's, um, it's L. Oh, I'm L. sorry, L. L. My vision. Um, start again. Item L, requesting authorization to enter into a new grant agreement with YMCA of, the, of San Francisco for the provision of a community connector program during the period of January 1st, 2019 <coughs> through June 30th, 2020 in the amount of $75,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $82,500. Welcome, Linda Murley. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, I seek your approval for a new grant with the Chinatown YMCA to start a community connector program in District 3 of San Francisco. Uh, DOS-funded community service programs served more than 17,000 older adults and people with, living with disabilities last year. 
In recent years, DOS has funded and helped to develop new community service models that take community services beyond the traditional community center. Villages and connector programs are examples of bringing services out of the community center and into neighborhoods, helping to ensure both community for older adults and living independently as well. The villages have a fee model that can be a barrier for consumers, and the connector program as a free model can link mutual help services to low-income individuals. District 3 encompasses the Chinatown and North Beach areas and has the densest population of older adults in San Francisco. 21% of the city's lowest income older adults live there too. The community connector model relies on a staff person who basically embeds themselves in the neighborhood, in the life of the community, and who works directly with people living in neighborhoods. Uh, the YMCA Chinatown Connector Program will bring bring activities and volunteer opportunities directly into that community. The YMCA Chinatown Community Connector will also introduce participants to the wealth of programming at the YMCA. The Y is located at um, the corner of Sacramento and Stockton and, and is on two bus lines. This is going to be the first connector program with the community center as the base. The program, the connector program will be going out into the neighborhood, but will have the opportunity to use the Y facility when needed. May I answer any questions? Thank you very much, Linda. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Seconded. Thank you. Um, any further discussion? All in favor? Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you. Thank you. Item M, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Next Village San Francisco for the provision of the village model during the period of January 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2019 in an additional amount of $50,000 plus 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $291,636. Thank you again, Linda. Commissioners, I seek your approval on the budget modification with Next Village San Francisco. Next was founded in 2009 and serves the northeast sector of the city, so this is Chinatown, the North Beach area. Um, Next stands for Northeast Exchange Team, so if you ever wondered what Next stands for, you know now. Um, they have monthly lunches out at local restaurants. There are film showings. There are art and writing classes. There's a weekly bocce ball near the North Beach Library co Courts. Next does not have an, a specific location, so makes use of public spaces out in the community like the Joe DiMaggio um, uh, Rec Center and the North Beach Library. $25,000 of this modification is add back, from, add back funds from District 2 to support um, next infrastructure. A big part of a village infrastructure is the volunteer coordination of services. So part of the fee for membership is as a member you have the opportunity to call the village office, ask for a ride to the doctor, and that, that volunteer service is coordinated for you. The more members you have, the more such requests come in, the more such volunteers are needed. So this is a big part of the village's infrastructure is maintaining this program. So these ABAC funds are going to assist with that. Um, 
DOS-funded village programs have a membership fee that encourages the active involvement of its members. So this is members become really involved and they're a part of owning the village and what goes on. Uh, sorry, I lost my place. Um, $25,000 is OTO funding. So of the 50, another 25 is OTO funding to support um, Next Village uh, and its low-income members. Over the last few years, many new low-income members have become known to Next Village, and we want to make sure that Next and the YMCA Connector Program can inform those low-income individuals about the mutual help services offered through the connector model. I hope that I've explained that clearly, and if I have not, please ask me questions. Thank you very much, Linda. Any questions? Commissioner Liu? A question uh, on page 5. The service objective, okay, um, the fiscal year 2019 and 20, um, the last um, item, provide 50 hours of educational activity. The previous year was 70, and they reduced by 28%. Uh, I, I just want to know why is a reduction. That's a great question. Thank you for asking that question. Uh, the part of the OTO money that DOS is supplying next with is to educate and inform those low-income older adults living in District 3 about the new programs and other, and other services available to them. So they've been given additional money for the rest of this fiscal year to do outreach and educational activities. Next year, that money is not there. So it's, the number has dropped down. Okay, my next question is, what's the diversity of their membership, like um, makeup, white, uh, Asian, American, and others? Do you have a rundown of that? I don't, but I can tell you that there is a large API population currently um, subsidized members of the village, of Next Village. There's also um, a local neighborhood um, <coughs> diversity as well. So... Well, I don't know the numbers, ma'am. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to see the makeup of the membership. Okay, well, I can follow up and get those numbers okay. for you. Thanks. Thank you. Um, and, Linda, if memory serves, next has a sliding scale in terms of the membership fee for low-income people. They don't have to pay as much um, to be well, what we established in the last couple of years was the need to, we had a couple of different villages and they were all kind of going in different directions. We needed to try to establish a model <coughs> so that all villages are a certain structure. So what we have come up with is a $120 a year minimum fee. Um, that's, that's where villages are going. The, the connector programs are free. So the mutual help services of volunteers may be giving you a ride to the doctor that's available through connector programs, but unlike the village, you don't just get to call up and expect that service. So those are two of the distinctions. Um, the $120 may be too much of a membership fee for some people to pay, so we want the, the YMC connector program and the next program to educate all of their general populace in the area about the two options. Okay, thank you. Any other comments or questions from Just Commissioner Knudsen? Hopefully a really quick question. Um, the, what, there's a sentence here that says you're explaining the next concept in the background about villages. 
Right, and the last sentence says there's currently two villages in San Francisco. Were you referring just to the, because mostly we're talking about the next villages. There is, so, there uh, is San Francisco Village, which is um, based out of the Richmond District as well. And I guess the village concept is bigger. There's more than two in San Francisco, right? Um, there are two. There are two villages that follow the model okay. of that we are currently establishing. Okay, so, that's where I. Yeah, there there are variations, um, but there are two that follow the model that DOS is establishing. I I understand now. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Thank you. May I have a second? Second. Thank you. All, any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Linda. Item N, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Felton Institute for the provision of the long-term care ombudsman program during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2019 in an additional amount of $55,877 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $594,993. Thank you, Linda. Commissioners, I seek your approval on the grant modification for Felton's Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program. The source of these funds is uh, Area Plan Amendment from the California Department of Aging. The modification is going to support recruitment of an additional six volunteers to work as ombudsmen. The volunteers go through extensive training. They become certified by the state before they go out into the field and uh, do their work as ombudsmen. Uh, the ombudsman program will also recruit consumers to be on an advisory council. So these are going to be family members, members of the community who are interested and want to assist with ombudsman work to help advise. The third thing that this money is going to help pay for is an independent survey of residents who are impact, impacted by ombudsman services at a facility. The ombudsman now work directly with residents, with individuals at a facility. And in the process of resolving a problem for them, it's not, it's not the best way to get an objective response to services, a survey of services. So the goal is to hire an outside person or an outside company to come in and survey uh, the clients of the ombudsman program. Uh, the ombudsman program has a language capacity of Cantonese and Mandarin, uh, also Spanish and Japanese. When needed, the ombudsman program relies on social workers, um, family members, and the AT&T translation line to assist with translation services at a facility. I went out on an ombudsman visit last week, and it was really very, very interesting. One of the things we did was just check in with different residents at the Jewish family <coughs> home. When I arrived there, the the parking security guard asked me who I was, and I said I was meeting the ombudsman, and he immediately warmed up to me, and he said, oh, you're here to meet with Julie, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. So obviously, the ombudsman had a good reputation there. Um, we met several different residents. I met a woman who is has cerebral palsy, so spends most of her day in her bed watching TV. We were there to work out better um, 
better assistance from staff in getting her into her wheelchair. She was a very interesting woman, and the ombudsman relationship with her was very pleasant. May I answer any questions? Yes, thank you. Um, and what is the what was your feeling in terms of the Jewish Community Center, how management felt about the ombudsman program and the advocacy that ombudsmen provide? Were they comfortable with it, defensive about it? How does that work? You know, that, that's very, very interesting, and I was really curious what I would see when I was there. Um, the woman I went with is named Julie Schneider. He, she started as a volunteer, I believe, as an ombudsman, and she's been going there for four years. So she's built relationships over the four-year period of time. People know her name. She knows them. She says hello to people. Um, she's a very genuine, warm, nice person, and I think that the care that she shows towards residents impresses itself upon the individuals who run the facility. Um, the fact that she volunteered there as of an ombudsman before becoming staff is also something that would impress the community. You don't get a sense that management has any issues with the program or with recommendations, for example, in the case you mentioned of the, helping the woman get into a wheelchair, that um, they don't get defensive about it or they're willing to listen and make the modifications? What, from what I saw, I think that there was reasonable dialogue between both parties. I think that both parties wanted to be successful in resolving the, the concern. That's great. And, and I think it's important to keep that in mind to make sure that the institution is comfortable because um, so there are always two sides to a story and mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that everybody gets a balanced approach, a balanced hearing. Yeah, everybody was very pleasant. So Great. Thank you. Um, any other comments or questions? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Do you have a second? Second. Uh, any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Item O, requesting, thank you, Linda. Um, item O, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Shanti Project for the provision of the animal bonding services to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer, LGBTQ+, older adults and adults with disabilities during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2019 for an additional amount of $100,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $737,275. Thank you, Rick Appleby. Uh, good afternoon, President Serenia, commissioners, and Director McSpadden. I just wanted to note before getting started that I think you were all brought up to speed on a small budget correction earlier on this budget. David Kashani mentioned it, um, minor correction there. Um, with this modification request, we have another opportunity to support Shanti's animal bonding program. Uh, we've talked about this just about every year for a couple of years now. And um, as you remember, Shanti uses care navigation, peer support, and direct pet care services to reach, um, reach out to isolated older adults and people with disabilities. Um, Shanti recognizes with this program that that pet relationship is extremely valuable and is often a healthy part of the person's um, life and that by supporting their pet and their life with their pet that they 
receive health and social benefits. So we're happy to be able to support them with some uh, more funds. Um, this budget modification will increase services to be delivered um, this fiscal year. Uh, we'll be increasing case management up by about 375 hours and consumer numbers up about 50 consumers. Uh, much of that budget is in uh, staffing for case management. And then I also wanted to point out that the modification includes about $11,000 for direct pet services such as veterinarian services and food and cat litter. Um, I met with Shanti's staff last April for monitoring. There were no significant findings. Uh, they exceeded the contract objectives and are um, doing the contract um, in compliance, sorry. Um, I also wanted to take a moment to mention that Shanti's animal bonding program received a National Innovation and Achievement Award in 2018. That was from the National Association of Area Agencies on Aging. So we're glad they're receiving some national recognition and uh, want to congratulate their staff on the work. Um, thank you for your consideration. Thank you, Rick. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Thank you. Hearing none, I may have a motion to approve. So moved. A second. Any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. Thank you. Item P, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Family Caregiver Alliance for the provision of the Family Caregiver Support Services during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2019 for an additional amount of $131,308 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed eight uh, not to exceed $886,604. Welcome back, Monty Chimino. Good afternoon, commissioners. <laughs> I'm here uh, to seek your approval for Family Caregiver Alliance Family Caregiver Support Program. Um, this additional funding is a result of uh, available dollars through the area plan update, which is uh, state and federal money. So we're happy to uh, work with Family Caregiver Alliance to uh, bolster a program that is much needed throughout San Francisco. Um, Family Caregiver Alliance is looking to increase their service units with these additional funds and the number of subcontractors and staffing for this program. The increased service units will occur in public information on caregiving, community education on caregiving, caregiver information and assistance, caregiver interpretation and translation, caregiver assessment, and caregiver support groups. In addition to these service unit increases, Family Caregiver Alliance is gonna be having two new subcontractors for this fiscal year. The first is Zen Hospice, and the other is Memory Cafe. Zen Hospice will be working with Family Caregiver Alliance to plan and implement a caregiver retreat in March of 2019. And the Memory Cafe will be providing caregiver information and assistance, as well as facilitating caregiver support groups. And finally, Family Caregiver Alliance is looking to add a .33 FTE family consultant position to help with respite as well as take on other administrative tasks as needed. And I'm happy to answer any questions that you may have. Thank you. Any comments or questions from the commission? <coughs> any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. A second? 
Thank you. Any further discussion? May I, all in favor? Aye. Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Monty. Um, a reminder, we'll be taking the next two items out of order. So we will begin with item R, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with OnLock, Inc. for the provision of enhancing healthy relationships training during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2019 for an additional amount of $75,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $987,485. Welcome back, Linda. Thank you, commissioners. I seek your approval on the grant modification with Onlock 30th Street um, Older Adult Community Center. In October of 2016, 30th Street began work on an enhancing healthy relationships strategies in their community center. They're a large community center. I think they see about 250 people a day. Uh, there are 36 DOS-funded community centers in San Francisco, all with a mandate of creating a safe and welcoming environment for the people who come there. Uh, working with Dr. Patrick Arbor of the Institute on Aging, 30th Street has used their community center to raise awareness and create an enhancing healthy relationships training for consumers and staff um, about the issue of older adult bullying. The training program launched internally to consumers at 30th Street and staff in 2017. In 2018, Dr. Arbor and 30th Street Director Valerie Viello were invited to present their findings at the American Society of Aging Annual Conference in San Francisco. A lot of attendees at that session were really interested in the work that they were doing. Uh, this grant modification will provide for the creation of healthy, enhancing healthy relationships toolkits to be basically a, a turnkey training system for people out in the community. It'll be signage, other materials, uh, syllabus, um, activities, anything that 30th Street has developed along the lines of training. Uh, there are going to be two toolkits, one for geared towards staff and one geared towards participants. Uh, 30th Street will go will train two staffs at local senior centers between now and June on this training. Um, people who graduate, participants who've graduated from the training at 30th Street um, are now ambassadors of with a commitment to civility and hosti hospitality at the center. So the people who are involved in this training really become even more involved in their centers. So it's a very, very constructive and positive thing. Uh, Valerie shared with me recently that um, some p staff members who were involved with the training um, earlier on in, in the process and have moved on to other jobs have found that the training has benefited them in those other jobs. A couple of people are now in academia and have taken those uh, relationship building um, tactics with them into those jobs. Uh, may I answer any questions? Thank you. Any comments or questions? Commissioner Liu. <coughs> yeah, in the last page, the subcontract, what do they do? The Jesuit Volunteer Club and the Community Music Center choir program. Oh, the last page. Yeah, this is um, operating. Well, the, yeah, this is not related to what this contract right now. The Jesuit Volunteers, I believe, used to work in the um, computer lab, and the choir is, you have heard about the choirs in the city, the choir project in the city. I don't 
this is not a part of this budget modification. Thank you. Any, any other com Commissioner? No, just to com uh, Commissioner Liu, the, the choir project is pretty remarkable because throughout the city you have uh, uh, seniors who, again, who are uh, battling social, social isolationism coming together to sing. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Commissioner. I'm sorry for the confusion here. Okay. Well, it's there, so that's. Why yeah. I'm yeah. No. Good question. It's something for you to look at and ask about. Yeah. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve. So move. Second. Thank you. Um, any further discussion? All in favor? Any opposed? Thank you. The motion carries. Thank you, Linda. Item Q, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with Institute on Aging for the provision of the support at in-home pilot program during the period of May 1st, 2019 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $1,858,352 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $6,169,187. Welcome, Carrie Wong. Thank you. Good afternoon, Commissioners and Director McSpadden. I'm pleased to present the Support at Home program for your approval. In 2017, DOS contracted with the Institute on Aging for a pilot to fund home care voucher program for older adults and adults with disabilities with unmet home care needs due to financial challenges. The Support at Home pro program targets individuals who are typically described as the upper poor and up to 100% of the area median income. The goal of the program is to improve health, safety, and quality of life outcomes for individuals who are in need of in-home support but ineligible for IHSS or other home care services uh, due to income or in, uh, resource limits. There is also a third-party program evaluation component to help us evaluate the program impacts and make recommendations for future and policy uh, recommendations that I will discuss on the next agenda item. Um, we are requesting for a pilot extension as the program was not able to reach full enrollment during the first year of the contract. As expected, as most, with most pilots, the first year was devoted to building infrastructure, program ramp up, um, in particular for this one, um, the enrollment challenge, responding to enrollment challenges. Um, there was a lower than anticipated enrollment specifically for those under 60 years of age, which was one of the um, uh, populations that we wanted to study especially. Um, the program spent a significant amount of time marketing and outreaching to the popula this population who was targeted to be 50% of the enrollees. It was also necessary to build the infrastructure to assure data integrity and accuracy for data analysis for the program evaluation component. And one more unanticipated issue was that there was significant client turnover due to the transitional home care needs that um, some of our enrollees had. We had always thought that once people were enrolled, they would stay enrolled, but that didn't turn out to be the case. In order to have a robust program evaluation and to be able to analyze client income, um, client outcomes over time, we would like to extend the pilot for another 14 months so that every participant has at least one full year of enrollment so that we can uh, accurately evaluate the impact. This concludes my report and I can entertain questions. Thank you. Any comments or questions, Commissioner? It, just a question, just because it wasn't in here. What is the AMI? Just so I have it's eighty-two thousand five hundred, I believe, for an individual or household. Um, 
82900 for a single person, and then 94700 for a two-person household. And then they can't have assets. of They can have a home or car, but not a large savings account. Right, it's, it's yeah. up, up, up to $40,000, yeah. right? Yeah. No, I just wondered, yeah. that, that helps a lot to get a picture on who's being yes. helped. And then could you tell just sort of, even though the program is just starting or going, uh, what kind, what were the most helpful did you have any sense of what people got help with the most or yeah actually back like that yeah we had our uh, year one program report that was released in july of last year so i realized maybe some of the commissioners may not have had it because this was before your time and we're happy to send it again one of the interesting um preliminary trends but i'm I'm hesitant to to say to confirm it is because we're still in the evaluation component obviously is that there were uh, noticeable impacts on falls and um, quality of life Um, the pre and post outcomes show um, that at this juncture at a cross-section that there were notable differences for those um, that people have reduced falls after enrollment and higher quality of life after enrollment into the program so it's promising. Good. No, it <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Any other comments or questions, Commission? Well, we know intuitively that there is a great demand for this, this particular target population that doesn't qualify for the normal forms of the traditional forms of assistance because of income issues. So mm-hmm. it seems to me that it's logical to give it a little bit more time so that you can assess how successful it is and figure out what may need to be done differently to reach them. But we know the population is there. So, any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, call the question. Uh, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Seconded. Thank you. All in favor? Any opposed? Thank you. Item S, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant agreement with the University of California, San Francisco for the provision of the program evaluation for support home program during the period of July 1st, 2018 through June 30th, 2020 for an additional amount of $200,000 plus a 20 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $440,000. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. In 2017, DOS contracted with UCSF to provide for program evaluation for support at home um, to provide continuous quality improvement as well as data analysis uh, for the overall program impact on quality of life outcomes as well as the efficacy and value of this home care voucher model. The final report will inform the possibilities of replication, expansion, and derivatives of this model. While it's not a rigorous research project, UCSF will be um, utilizing standardized research methodology, also using a comparison group, focus group, and in-person interviews and surveys, so other qualitative approaches. Uh, Last year, um, the program activities primarily consists the same, the same as with, with um, Institute on Aging, with just program ramp-up, um, evaluation planning with the team, um, building infrastructure for how uh, the data analysis, that the data transfers will be and what indicators we will use and the data analysis. Um, the year one report, as I just mentioned, um, was completed last year. Uh, and due to the program, the pilot ramp-up and the time needed due to, for the enrollment challenges, the program evaluation has obviously been uh, significantly impacted as well. 
well. In order to have a robust program evaluation, this contract should be extended along with the pilot extension, which will address the enrollment issues for those under 60 to enrich uh, enrollment capacity and to have at least a full year evaluation term for all the clients that are enrolled and to build a robust comparison group. Additional funds were also added in, in this fiscal year to incentivize the survey response and for staff time for follow-ups for the comparison group. Unlike the program participants, those recruited for the comparison group do not benefit from their program services and are not required to participate with the program evaluation. So as such, adding incentives and staff time for follow-up uh, for the surveys will create a robust comparison group so that the outcomes can be compared between program participants and those that were not enrolled. Um, and that would lend more confidence in the findings could be attributed to the program impact. There is additional year two report um, and to the final report. So the year two report will be due in July and then the final report with this next year in June. <coughs> it, will, it will include a cost benefit analysis, policy implications and rec future recommendations um, for whom some financial assistance for home care costs would make a significant impact. This concludes my report. Thank you, Carrie. Any comments or questions from the commission? Any comments or questions from the public? Hearing none, may I have a motion to approve? So moved. Second? Thank you. Um, any further discussion? All in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. Okay, item seven, general public comment. Hearing none, item eight, announcements. Hearing none, with great regret, may I have a motion to adjourn? <laughs> so moved. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. <laughs> oh, well, we got, we got through it. Actually, I thought it would be a little...